some time ago, a member of our congregation told me of an experience that they had had in their workplace. Uh, they were working in a school at the time. Uh, one lunchtime after the, the kids had had their, their lunch in the canteen and the canteen had been cleared, one of the lunchtime staff came bursting out of a changing room where they'd, they'd just been getting changed and was surprised to find this person nearby. Well, they asked, were your ears burning? No, no, said the member of the congregation. I, I haven't heard anything. It's just that we were talking about you. We were saying how nice you are. As this member of the congregation shared that story with me, they went on to try and interpret it, to try and understand what, what's going on there. Why were the dinner staff in a school responding in this way? I simply try to live as I think God would want me to live in the school. They were explaining. I meet people where they're at. I treat everyone with dignity. I ignore hierarchies in the staffing and give everyone equal respect. I try to let the kids know that they're not just worms, that they matter, every one of them. That's all I do. It was a lovely thing to hear about this incident and reflect with this person on it. The impact that a follower of Jesus Christ modeling godly character on their front line. We started a new series last week entitled Fruitfulness on the Frontline. So here at Hamilton Road, we have this vision to make faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We've been learning for some time that we all have have front lines, so faithful followers have front lines. And now with, uh, well, a front line, if you remember, is, is the place where God has put us beyond the church, outside of Sundays, a place where we'll meet people who maybe don't yet know him. The new thing that we learned last week was about fruitfulness. So faithful followers are fruitful on their front lines. Now, there are some people who probably aren't finding enough alliteration in my sermons, but that's a pretty strong sentence right there, isn't it? Faithful followers, fruitful on our front lines. <coughs> As we go to our front lines, there are many ways in which we can live for God's glory. Last week, we looked at a lot of Bible passages which talked about fruitfulness but we quite quickly tried to summarize what the Bible talks about when it talks about fruitfulness. Fruitfulness or bearing fruit is any action that pleases God, any consequence that's in line with his will. So a child noticed and nourished a dinner lady honored for her wonderful work. This morning, we're going to come back to thinking about fruitfulness in our front lines, but we're going to go much, much more, uh, in much more detail in, into one particular area, one way in which we can be fruitful in our front lines. The more I've thought about this, the more important I've come to see it. Before anything we do, before anything we say, there's who we are. We can be fruitful on our front lines simply by being who we are, by modeling godly character. Have you ever noticed how attractive a beautiful character is? 
these people, we, we see them, we see God's character in them, and it, it becomes magnetic to them. We find ourselves drawn to them. We find ourselves drawn to them, and through them, we find ourselves drawn to God. As I was reflecting on that this week, I, my mind went to, I tried to think, who are, who are some people I've met who, who play this role for me? Their, their character just draws me to God. I thought of Dr. Houston, the founding principal at Regent College. His uncanny ability to speak a Christ-like blend of grace and truth. I loved that. I thought of Dallas Willard, with whom I studied a couple of times. And I thought of that heavy sense of peace that seemed to sit on him, no matter what he was doing, what he was talking about. He, he just carried the peace of God. I'm thinking about one of the fellow elders in my uh, previous church who, who had such a winsome character that people were queuing up to get into his GP practice. I'm thinking of another one, young, but with such character and such quality that when he changed job, within a few months he was being promoted again and again because the, the hierarchy in that company saw something in him and they realized this, this is a, a wonderful man. Folks, I, I say all that to say that character matters. Character speaks to a watching world. It makes a difference. It's character in the big things, but also in the, the small things. Whenever followers of Jesus Christ model godly character, they give glory to God and they're fruitful on their front lines. I want you to take a moment just now to think of the most attractive Christian you've ever met quite hard to do, so I'm actually going to give you a moment. Take a moment to think. I'm not talking about the most impressive people. People can be impressive and yet strangely unattractive. I'm talking about the beautiful people. The most attractive Christian you've ever met. What was it about them? that you find so winsome. Let's keep working on this for a second, okay? Now think for a moment of people in this church who are attractive to you in that kind of a way. There's something about them, about how they live, how they treat you. It makes you want to be in their company. It makes you want to, if they're following Jesus, it makes you want to follow Jesus too. Think for a moment about those people in this room, in this church. I'm picturing some right now. I better not look anybody in the eye. Now, here's where this gets to be fun. You might never have even begun to think of yourself as somebody who could model godly character. But here's the thing. It's possible that somebody here has been thinking of you. You're saying, no way, no way, Christoph, not me. Well, it's, it's possible. If I invite the whole church family to think of people who have, who have served to, to attract them to Jesus by their person, then it's, it's just possible that somebody here is thinking of you. Isn't that exciting? 
the possibility that our character is something that God could use for his glory. I want to keep talking about character this morning, but let me clarify very quickly what I'm not talking about. Character is not the same as personality. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know if you've ever noticed, the Bible doesn't talk much about people's personality. So in the New Testament, you don't hear descriptions of, of people, whether they're introvert or extrovert. So we don't know about Thomas, whether he was doer, whether Epaphroditus was funny, or whether it was just his name that was funny, um, or Elizabeth, whether Elizabeth was shy. We don't know. But what we know is that Thomas was courageous. Epaphroditus was persevering, that Elizabeth was upright. We don't know very much about people's personalities, but when the New Testament writers talk about people, they're concerned with their character, the qualities that have nothing much to do with their, their temperament, whether they're playful or serious, extrovert or introvert, but rather whether they're the kind of character that responds to God and to their circumstances and to other people in a godly way. So we're not talking about character, or sorry, we're not talking about simply about personality. We're not talking either about simply being nice. Godly character isn't just about being nice, as if gliding through life with a grin on your face, never saying boo to a goose, is the, the sum total of who God is and what he's made us for. Jesus doesn't fit that understanding. Jesus is somebody who had an effect on people that led them to crucify him. The most beautiful character who ever lived, but something other than just nice. Now that we've seen that we're not, what we're not talking about, let's try to define character for a moment. Character is the qualities inside of us that lead us to respond to our circumstances in a particular way, whatever the pressure. Think of the expression. There's an expression that helps us at this point. Do you know the, the expression we use, he acted out of character? It's usually used as a way to excuse bad behavior. So we say he acted out of character because of the pressure that he was under. I'd say, say that's an entirely wrong way to think about character. If a person reacts badly under pressure, they're not acting out of character. That's them acting in character. That's the moment where the veneer has cracked, where the mask has slipped, and we see that person for who they really are. Character is what's left when the mask comes off. Character is who we are when no one's looking. Folks, that's what we're talking about here this morning. We want to grow into the kind of people who actually have godly character. Even when the pressure's on, especially when the pressure's on. The kind of people who, when the veneer cracks, when the mask slips, and people see us for who we really are, there's something there that has the look of Jesus. Sobering stuff, isn't it? 
Our character is the real us. And if we're spending the whole of our lives trying to hide it, then we're in pretty dire straits. What, if anything, does God have to say to this? What does the gospel do for us? Well, folks, this is the gospel. This is the good news. The truth is that when we receive Jesus Christ, in Christ we are new creations. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. We need to take that to heart. Once we were caterpillars, now we are butterflies. We have emerged from the chrysalis. Because I'm in Christ, I have new capacities. God doesn't just give us new capacities. He gives us new fuel, or, or perhaps I should say sap, new sap. He gives us his gracious Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit, you see, he works in us to convict us of our sin, to draw us to Christ, but the Spirit continues to work in us. The Spirit works in us when we're in Christ to make us more like Christ. Yes, we are who we are. Don't hear me wrong, I know that. We are who we are, but we are becoming something different. Jesus, in his grace, he, he does take us where he finds us. You've maybe heard the gospel described in those terms. He takes us where he finds us. But Jesus, in his grace, would never leave us where he finds us. He loves us far too much for that. He's making us into something new. Let's come now to our passage, which Moira read for us this morning. Galatians 5. What a chapter. Just look at what Paul's saying here. Verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Paul's telling the Galatians that they don't need to be enslaved to the Jewish law. Life in Christ isn't about religion or rules. It's not, Paul says. It's for freedom that we've been set free. But he needs to be clear what, what that freedom looks like. And so in verse 13, he tells us, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. So on the one hand, we aren't to live under the law, but nor are we to live under license. Paul has an alternative in mind, a third way. It's the life that Jesus calls us to. Look at verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit. In verse 22, he describes the life of those who live by the Spirit. They're fruitful. They're like trees yielding healthy fruit. He names nine fruit, but, but every commentator agrees. There's nothing exhaustive about this list. It's illustrative. It's a conversation starter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't it just beautiful? If you're in Christ, that's you. Have a look. That's you. Wouldn't you just love 
to be known for bearing that kind of fruit? We could be. Wouldn't you just love to be the kind of community where, where we're an orchard together? This fruit hanging everywhere. That's what we want for Hamilton Road. In recent months, I've come to see that we would benefit from thinking a little bit more about these kinds of things. So I'm planning a, a series, a preaching series over the summertime on the fruit of the Spirit. We'll get a chance to go much, much deeper there than we can today. <clears throat> Although this series is very much about fruitfulness on the front lines, so that's you out there, I don't want us to miss what fruitfulness together might do. I thought I'd take a moment to share with you a story about what can happen when we're fruitful, when we model godly character together as a church family. Jessica's circumstances weren't ideal when she first started coming to church. She'd never really been to church before. Her family weren't, weren't into church. But she started coming with her boyfriend who'd done a wee bit of church somewhere in the past as a teenager. When they started coming to church together, she was pregnant and they weren't married. She wondered what people would think of that. I wondered what people would think of that. I knew that I was delighted to see her. I knew that I'd welcome her gladly and begin to point her to Jesus and see if I could introduce her to him so that one day she might follow him too. But what about the congregation? Those whom she'd sit among? Those whose passing comments she'd hear before and after a service? How would they treat Jessica? I couldn't control that. I just had to wait and see whether they would model godly character. I needn't have worried. They were brilliant with her. They welcomed her and they loved her, no questions asked. Before long, Jessica was pestering me to, to run a Christianity Explored course. Usually we pester people to come on courses. She was pestering me to get one going. By the end of the course, she'd committed her life to Jesus. Within a few months, she was helping host a, a discipleship group in her home. In the years that have passed, she has grown into, well, the kind of thing we're talking about here today, a, a tree laden with the fruit of God's Spirit in her life. Anytime I talked to her and asked her about what had happened, what it was that drew her to Jesus, she said it was, it, it was the people. It was the welcome I got. It was the way they treated me. They loved me before they knew me. And that changed everything. She wouldn't have known it because she didn't know the Bible, didn't know any of these stories, didn't know what kind of thing we're talking about here today. But, but what had happened is she'd walked into an orchard. And everywhere around her was fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in the life of real people. The love that welcomed her before it knew her. The patience with her circumstances. The kindness of folk. 
This is the kind of thing that's going to happen here. As God grows the fruit of his spirit in our lives. We can't say all that there is to say about growing godly character in one short sermon. Actually, that's the work of a lifetime and a theme that a preacher will always have in their ministry. We'll keep coming back to this again and again. Let's think very quickly for a couple of moments about how we might grow in character. Well, someone says, if it's the fruit of the Spirit, then, then it's the Spirit who does the growing. We don't do anything. We just sit back and let it happen. No. Not according to God's Word. Not, not Paul in Galatians 5. Let's have a look. According to Paul, there are two things that we can and we must do. The first is that we live by the Spirit. Verse 16. Repeats it in verse 25. There he gives us a, a beautiful little metaphor to, to talk a little bit more about what he means. He says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. For me, that conjures up the image of, of marching to a beat. I want to grow more like Jesus, so I must keep in step with the Spirit, marching to his beat, fitting in with his timing, not forcing my own allowing him to, to lead the march in whatever direction he wants to go, not, not me going off in my direction. <clears throat> so the first thing we need to do if we want to grow the fruit of the Spirit is, and model godly character is to keep in step with the Spirit. The second thing we need to do is to kill off the anti-fruit. Those character traits that spring from my natural nature my character without Christ. Paul describes some of them. Have a look, verses 19 to 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envies, drunkenness and orgies and the like. Folks, this is a huge theme in Paul's teaching. In some of his key passages in his letters, he warns us about the deeds of the flesh. So in Romans 8, 13, he says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In Colossians 3, he tells us what we must do with the deeds of the flesh. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So folks, we have two things that we can and we must do as we keep in step with the Spirit. As we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, sorry, we keep in step with the Spirit to allow him to grow new fruit in our lives. And at the same time, we, we pluck and get rid of the old fruit the, of our fallen nature. We're getting rid of that and we're putting that to death. We, we talk sometimes about character assassination and you know what that means. To, to be involved in character assassination is to, to damage somebody else's character. Folks, there's a right kind of character assassination and every one of us should be involved in it. It's the assassination of our character 
without Jesus Christ. Let's collaborate with the Spirit to see that killed. It doesn't give glory to God. And it doesn't draw people to Jesus. Folks, we're almost done this morning. We've been thinking about the importance of modeling godly character. And and maybe I've confused you this morning. Because once you start to talk a lot about behavior in church, about the way in which we actually live, it, it can sound different than the way the gospel is explained to us. It all sounds like it's focused on works all of a sudden, Christoph. As if our life is is based on what we do rather than on God's grace. Thank you for the question, if you've asked it. The wonderful truth of the gospel is that God who takes us as he finds us with no fruit of the Spirit, with nothing winsome in our character, lives of rebellion and sin only. He takes us as he finds us and he forgives us and he washes us clean. We call that grace. And it's so amazing that we sing all about it. But the full truth at the heart of the gospel is that this God who takes us where he finds us doesn't leave us where he finds us. He tells us that in Christ we're a new creation. He gives us the Holy Spirit of Jesus, and he tells us that he's going to grow the character of Jesus in us too. This is grace too. By far, this is the most common way in which grace is talked about in the New Testament, and it's no less amazing. We should be singing this all the more. Brothers and sisters, we're not only saved by grace, we live by grace every moment of every day. So let's go now and and bear fruit, good fruit for God's glory. Over the last couple of weeks, people have told me that they've found it helpful whenever I've shared something concrete in a sermon that they feel able to take away with them. So I'd like to do that as I close. Let me share something that's been really helpful to me over the last two or three years since I first came across it. I learned of a prayer that John Stott prayed every day. People who knew John Stott would have talked about his character, particularly about his humility. But they, they knew, some of them, about a prayer that he prayed every day. It goes like this. Listen out for how it works. He, he prays a Trinitarian prayer, one sentence to the Father, one to the Son, and then one to the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself. Cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness and goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. When I discovered that prayer, I started to pray it 
pretty much every day. At some point since then, I've given up the habit. I'm sure you can tell. I think I'd like to start again. We're going to take a moment just now to respond in prayer to what we've heard. And then we're going to pray for some others. Each Sunday, we pray for members of our church mission family. So today, we pray for the Eastwoods working with Overseas Missionary Fellowship in Taiwan. We'll pray for our children taking exams, for the family of Anne Boston, and for others struggling with their health and anxiety and so on. Let's, let's pray. Father, it's been exciting to be reminded today what a difference a godly life can make. It's been exciting to anticipate that one day that could be us. Lord, we recognize our inability to fully display your perfect character in our character. Lord, we're sorry for the times when we've pushed people away from you with our own sinfulness. Lord, if our friends and family and colleagues have negative ideas about you, help us to change that. Help us to live a life that genuinely displays the difference that you can make. Father, we thank you for the Eastwoods and for the way in which they model godly character and work in your kingdom in Taiwan. Thank you for their visit with us at Easter time and for the opportunities to hear what they're involved in. Thank you for the way in which you've been growing their work among marginalized people in society. And thank you for the, the people who are coming to new faith in Jesus there. We pray that during these months of home assignment, David and Lucy would find refreshment and rest in every way that they need. May they be encouraged as they visit their supporting churches and meet with friends, family, and supporters. Lord, we pray for our young people, especially those taking exams, perhaps with little experience of what it's like to take exam board exams. Lord, may they learn to take refuge in you in the storm to put their trust in you for the outcomes and to put all their future hope in you who loves them and has good plans for them. Lord, we pray today for the family of Anne Boston. Come close to them in their time of loss. We pray for all those in our congregation and those known to us who are suffering these days with illness, anxiety, with loneliness, and those who are without Christ and without hope in this world. Hear us as we bring them to you just now.
You are the God who forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Heal us and our loved ones in every possible way. We pray it for your glory. Amen.